What is up, everyone? Real quick, I made a mistake and I accidentally recorded this podcast using my webcam's microphone instead of my professional microphone. So I apologize ahead of time if my voice sounds very echoey. But nonetheless, we have a super exciting guest on this podcast episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as I enjoyed recording it and making it for you. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back, everyone, to the fifth episode of Breaking Into and Out of Wall Street. On this episode, I'm super excited to have Michael Chang. And just a quick background about this guy. He was a senior investment banker who spent almost a decade on Wall Street before taking the leap of faith and becoming an Airbnb entrepreneur. Today, he is the founder of Trust BNB, which is a property management company focused on short-term rentals. And he is also an investor and advisor to a SPAC. So for that, Michael, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Andrew. Um, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So I, I'm trying to figure out where to even begin here. So I, you know, obviously I did a little world research on your background and I want to do it justice, right? I want to do it justice. But how about we start out all the way back? To the college days, right? You just, or you want to talk about college is fine, but you just graduated. Um, I know you didn't go straight into investment banking out of undergrad. You went through the MBA route. So wh- why don't you talk about that process a little bit? Like, kind of like, uh, what was it like graduating from UC San Diego? By the way, people that don't know, we're from the same undergraduate school. Go Tritons! <laughs> what was it like graduating as an undergraduate, and uh, like, how did you, and why did you end up pursuing investment banking? Yeah, no, uh, you know, thanks for the great question. Um, so I graduated, so, so my background, I graduated from UCSD in 2002. Uh, you know, you know, remember back 20 years ago, that was, uh, you know, pretty tough time economically. We're, you know, kind of getting out of the dot-com crisis. Um, so, you know, that was kind of right when I graduated. And then I worked for a few years, uh, went to get my MBA at Cornell. Uh, graduate in 2009. Again, great timing because that was right out of the financial <laughs> crisis. Uh, but actually, in an odd way, it was actually very good because you kind of bind the low there. So I got in right at the low of the cycle. And then, you know, I was a summer associate at City in New York in the MA and technology groups. I uh, opted to join the MA group full time. Uh, I was there for five years, uh, was promoted to vice president. And then I got recruited to go to Bank of America Merrill Lynch in their M&A group as well. <clears throat> Wanted to focus on technology, so I had the opportunity to you know focus on tech M&A when I was at at B of A. Um, so I was there for about two and a half years, and then I actually uh, and then I uh, moved over to Jefferies, uh, where I, that, where I actually sat within the tech team, uh, you know, doing M&A, but I wanted to be much more uh, part of the technology group. Um, so that, you know, I was there for a year and a half, two years, but after, after 10 years, it was kind of time for me to, to embark on my own journey. Um, you know, I was working 10 years to achieve other people's dreams and, you know, wanted to work on, you know, kind of pursuing my dream and, you know, been able to build uh, trust BNB uh, with my, my partner and wife um, over the last five years to, you know, what it is today. We are, you know, located in Pennsylvania and Tennessee. We have 26 properties that we, we own and operate um, in these geographies. Um, Andrew, I'm happy to talk more about, you know, if you want to, we can talk a little bit about kind of how college was and then, you know, break, trying to break into investment banking at UCSD or a non-target school to make it broader. And then, uh, you know, happy to talk about that. Were you, were you trying to get into investment banking out of undergrad? 
was that? I was, I was in, in 2000, you know, 2000, 2002, you know, I took a lot of accounting courses, try to differentiate myself by, you know, uh, going for the honors track. Um, mm. You know, it's always, and this is 20 years ago. It was, it was even more difficult 20 years ago. To, uh, <laughs> it was pretty hard to, when I did it. So I can't even imagine 20 years ago. Yeah, the breaking investment bank. I mean, it was a lot harder. Right? There was no LinkedIn. There was no, you know, in, the internet was in its infancy. So it really was like, you know, you had to call the alumni handbook by hand, and and you know, on a on a on a landline, and call yeah. and email um, people to try to get on the phone with them. So I, I was actually fortunate. I had some friends at UCLA that I was able to kind of go up and um, you know try to. Uh, interject myself into their their recruiting process, um, and you know had a few interviews, but ultimately you know wasn't successful. It was it's it's very very difficult to you know it was very very difficult, and I think it still remains fairly difficult to get in from a non-target school. But now a lot easier. There's a lot more resources now, um, and you know through my ten year career at, at investment banking, and you know seeing a lot of people from. You know, traditionally non-target schools, people that really you know hustled and and found different ways to join you know join an investment bank um, yeah. and and make a lot of good progress actually in their career. So you know it's definitely doable. It's not as linear as it as it as it used to be. Yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of funny. Um, you know what you just said there about like joining the UCL recruitment cycle and like whatever they were doing. When I was recruiting for investment banking, I used to go to like USC recruitment events. I would just like go to their like info sessions and crash it and be like, yeah, I don't go to school by the way, but I love to work for a company. And they'll be like, who are you? What are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's kind of funny. Um, but okay. So you ultimately, you know, you went through the MBA route. You wanted to get into investment banking. What was the experience like for you, like working like within the industry? Like, what was like the first couple of years like? Was it kind of like what you expected? Was it what you wanted? Or was it from like day one, you're like, ooh. Because, you know, obviously we were talking about how you eventually left. But like, was it day one, you're like, I don't know about this? Or was it at first also like, yeah, this is everything I ever wanted in my life? <laughs> I... I don't know if I was kind of at other polls, um, but it was definitely, you know, I knew kind of what I was getting into. Uh, I, I, had much, I had some mentors. So the, my, the last job that um, before I went to get my MBA there, you know, I was uh, working with three former investment, you know, senior investment bankers that had launched a business. So they, you know, were very clear among like expectations on what I, you know, what, what would be, a, you know, what would be my role as a junior banker. So I you know, definitely went in eyes wide open and, you know, candidly it was very, it was, it was tough. And this was, you know, pre COVID um, there were not a lot of the guardrails that I think people are used to today. You know, there was a lot of swearing at you if you mess things up, you know, um, a lot of all nighters, you know, slept in the lounge, you know, I don't know how many times, um, you know, just, you know, really kind of traditional investment banking, especially early on, kind of pre-2014, there was still that ethos that, you know, kind mm -hmm. of pre-Dodd-Frank ethos that still kind of permeated through the bank. So, um, you know, yeah, you, you got yelled at, you got swore, you, you know, people would swear at you. And an associate one time at five in the morning, literally took a baseball bat in the bathroom and like literally destroy the bathroom because Whoa. he was like frustrated. Um, and then, you know, people were like, oh, that's just, that's just, I'm not going to name names, of course, but that's just this person. <laughs> and then, you know, eight in the morning, you know, you went home, showered and got up and then, you know, no one said, no one peeped a single word and maintenance went in there and fixed it. And it was just kind of like, that was that. 
Um, so it was a very different time. There were very different times. You know that that behavior uh, today. You know the immediate. You know Im- immediate dismissal probably with prejudice. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was really kind of what I thought it was, and I was really excited about it. And but I think it was just more as time went on, um, you know, I just realized that although it was a great job, you know, a lot of prestige, you know, great pay, working with great companies, learned a ton too. But you know, I think ultimately, I you know, I, I saw myself more as an you know entrepreneur and had entrepreneurial you know activities when I was younger. So that was something that I always wanted to to pursue. And after ten years, you know, being able to you know you know being able to uh, you know accumulate capital, but also I think more importantly, kind of see very successful businesses from the inside, right? Mm-hmm. You know, through through the, on the M and A side, really seeing how you know operators, you know, built their businesses, how they, you know, organize financially, um, that helped, that has helped immensely, um, in, in my journey as, a, as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I, I want to kind of come up, double click a little more of like just your journey throughout investment banking. For, first of all, I'm actually kind of curious your, your thoughts on this. Do you actually think that was better back in the day like that? Cause do you feel like it almost the pendulum swung too far the other way in which investment banking is a little too PC right now? Or do you think it's like when you, obviously you left around like 2018, I believe, do you think that was like kind of like a good spot? Like, yeah, this is what the industry should be like. Or do you kind of miss the bro culture of it for like a better <laughs> word? Yeah. I mean, I think there, I think there's some aspects of it that were, um, that were valuable. Uh, that were valuable. There were, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, going with a baseball bat and destroying a bathroom to show how frustrated you were. I don't, I don't think that's actually like appropriate behavior. Probably not. Um, but you, you, you definitely, there was, there was a very, there was very low tolerance for error. Uh, you know, not to say that it is more accepted now, uh, but back then, you know, you really were expected to come in and know the numbers. You know, there should be any formatting mistake, you know, simple formatting mistakes. And even as the associate, you know, being able to walk in and, you know, like, just knowing, you know, very basic things, just knowing the what the company does, you know, knowing the multiples, like what like what is the trade out? What is the what is the EBITDA next year? These very simple questions that mm. now I don't I don't know if bankers really, junior bankers like they think that way, but you know, when you walked in a meeting before in a meeting before, for example, on the cover page, you would just have like what were the multiples and what was the EBITDA because you know to be asked. And if you couldn't answer those basic questions, then you know, it's gonna be a difficult conversation. It's gonna be you know, a difficult conversation with the MD there because you know, they knew that you didn't really know what you were doing. So, you know, every little thing they were going to poke holes in and, uh, you know, it was going to make your life kind of miserable. So, so I, I think there was, you know, there's definitely value to that. you learned a lot faster. Um, and, you know, for some people it was good. And for some people, you know, it didn't work out and they, you know, they left the industry a little earlier. I think yeah. now, you know, there is the trend of like quiet quitting and, 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 and things like that where, um, and with remote work, obviously, it makes that it makes that easier. But you know, definitely, ten years ago, eight years ago, that was not the case. Fear places to hide. What are your thoughts about that? The whole quiet. I I, I think quiet quitting is just a. It, it's like a new way of saying like resting, investing. It's like this this terminology. <laughs> for a long time but 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 everyone treats us like it's like a new thing now because tiktok made it a new thing but what kind of what, yeah. what, what are your thoughts about that like the whole idea of like quiet quitting right just doing the bare minimum just to get by because honestly i feel like shit man i feel like that's eight percent of people anyways yeah. 
like I, I think the remote work makes it a lot easier, right? So now that everyone's back in the office, especially the banks, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a different, it's going to be a rude awakening, right? And then, you know, people are going to decide if this is for them or not. I think, you know, there's two perspectives, right? If you're a junior, if you're a junior banker that doesn't, doesn't seem this, doesn't view it as a real career path mm-hmm. and that you're here for, you know, the compensation or prestige or, you know, it's a stepping stone to something else. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you're going to have a certain perspective. Um, I think, well, I know for, for me, you know, when, if I was, if I was still a director and I had associates and analysts and, or, and, or VPs that were quiet quitting, it would be, you know, immensely frustrating because the demands on me would not change. And I would expect support from the broader team and, you know, Candidly, before the you know, expectation is that if you sent an email at ten thirty on a Friday, uh, it would be responded to within you know a very short period of time. Yeah. And you know if you don't, you know if you're like, hey, we need to turn comments for something tomorrow, and it's you know nine thirty on a Friday, and you know you don't get a response, it's going to be a pretty frustrating experience for uh, the senior person who, or, or like the the director or the VP who ultimately will need to deliver that product to the client. Um, less so now, right? Obviously, you know, market's slower now. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't discount how much, how busy and how, how much stress people are under, um, you know, in 2021, um, you know, this year, I think it's been a lot easier on people. And I think people, a lot of people are probably worried now, just given it's slower, right? So, you know, if you're a senior associate, that's been quite quitting for the last two years. Um, you're probably pretty worried because rifts might be coming and, you know, you need to kind of figure out what you're going to do. Uh, I'm actually very glad you just mentioned that because my next question to you is over the years in climbing the ranks in investment banking, right? Like you obviously went through associate to VP to director level. What is something that you have seen that allows one to, I guess, ultimately succeed in investment banking, right? Because I, this is my opinion. You can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I feel like from to get to analyst to associate, maybe even to get that VP promotion, you can kind of just get by a lot of times um, by doing what you're what you need to do. But I really think from the VP to MD level, when you start becoming like a revenue generator for a company, you can't just get by anymore because if you're not performing, it's very obvious and you're probably not sticking around. So, um, what are, what are your thoughts about that? And like, what what have you seen that like some character traits or anything that really allows one to succeed in this like competitive industry? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I, I, I do agree with that. I think especially as the industry has kind of been in a growth phase over the last five years from, you know, 2016 to 21, there's definitely, you know, if you kind of did, did what you need, you know, did the, did what was expected, getting the VP promotion, um, you know, was you know, wasn't that difficult a path. Not, not to say it was impossible, you know, not to say it was easy. Yeah, There's yeah. still a lot of work involved, but, um, you know, you didn't need to be an A-plus student, right? You could be an A-minus student and, and still and, and still and still be fine. That's a good um, way to put it. <laughs> you can be an A-minus, B-plus and still make it. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, but, you know, to your point, you know, when you go from director or when you go from VP to director, especially from director to MD, it is a very different path your the mds need to see you as as a peer right they need to see you as someone that can elevate their themselves their presence 
their analysis, their ability to sell mm. uh, to their level, because ultimately, you know, MDs are expected to generate revenue and compensation is based on the revenue side, you know, the revenue, you know, how that particular group does against its revenue targets, right? So everyone's very cognizant of that. So, you know, even if you're someone that's not, maybe not very technical, but you're, you know, you have a great network and you, you're, you're a great client person, that, you know, that's definitely a path forward. I've seen plenty of MDs that aren't very technical, but just great, you know, they can, their storytelling skills are, are amazing, right? So some mm-hmm. people can support that with numbers or analysis, other people, you know, it's more qualitative. Um, but, you know, you need to be able, you know, I would say that you're either the really, really technical person that just knows all the different structuring things that, you know, and particularly on the M&A side, you know, you can be that kind of technician specialist. You, you know, you will have a role generally. Um, you may find your life to be somewhat miserable because uh, you're going to be doing a lot of the, the, you know, the heavy lifting analytically. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are someone that, you know, I think is more client facing, right? Someone that just knows everyone in the industry, um, knows what they're thinking, you know, where you can kind of get through a meeting with, you know, the multiples and kind of what's going, what's going on in industry, you know, that in a way actually is more valuable. And now sitting on the client side, um, you know, where I'm not a, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, you know, I get, we get pitched on looking at targets and, and opportunities. I actually value someone much more and maybe because I come from a many background, but I value, I, I value, and I think clients value someone that really knows the industry well, knows the trends, knows the people, knows, and much, much more importantly, knows what other companies are thinking, right? Because that's going to be the most value, um, you know, if you're, you know, your industry coverage officer. So long way of saying, you know, pick, pick a subsector that you really like, right? Get really deep. And even if you're a junior person, you know, start developing those. And if you see yourself as a long-term banker, start developing those relationships very early on, you know, with the junior people at that you're working with directly, because those junior people now are all like the people I used to work with are all CEOs and CFOs now. So yeah. um, if you develop those relationships and, and cultivate those over time, uh, you're going to be you're going to be in a much much better position when they're talking MDs because as a director you'll have already like oh yeah I know ABC you know I know this person who is now um, you know running FPNA at this company you know we can talk to him and figure out what they're doing you know like that's differentiated uh, versus someone that you know doesn't have that so um, and I think that's going to be much more relevant as we go through a contraction phase in the cycle over the next mm. few next at least in the next year or two, right? Revenue's down pretty materially year over year. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very good point you made. And that's something I, I'm starting to see with like my own investment banking, I guess, experience and just the, the colleagues I had. It's just like over time, just like, hey, the associates I used to work with, all of them are VPs now, you know? I don't have director friends yet, but I have like VP friends. And to tell myself that I will have a, like, and these guys aren't friends because you work with them through the night <laughs> when they're associates and stuff. So like, I used to view VPs as like these very high up senior bankers, but now I'm just like, wait, this guy's a VP? No, no, it's kind of like we go for drinks and stuff, you know? Yeah. But, but I, I'm kind of, okay, I'm kind of curious about what you said earlier about like, you know, the more, I guess, like extroverted banker versus the more technical banker. In your opinion, is there a lot of BS that goes around in investment banking? <laughs> like, is everyone just BSing each other or is there actually substance to what the MDs are saying to the client? 
you know, I, I think there, I mean, there, it's a, it's a mix of both, right? There's some where it's, you know, more, you know, fluff than, you know, I think substance, but look, I mean, the people on the clients that are actually very, they're very, very smart too, yeah, right? Yeah. They, they, they know, right. They, they know when, you know, they can cut through, they can cut through the BS as well. Um, so, you know, you're, you're going to, you're only going to get so far being kind of the extroverted. I mean, and this is just, and I'm talking about, you know, traditional investment banking, um, not, you know, sales and trading where, you know, it's a little more, I think more relationship based. Um, but if you're more on, you know, covering, uh, covering companies, covering private equity firms, covering, you know, people with operating businesses, um, I don't know that, you know, Extroverted definitely helps, but I don't think that's a, you know, it's a necessary and sufficient condition. It's really, do you, do you, can you pick up the phone and, or do you know, do you really know what's going on in the industry, right? It's not like, you know, anyone can pick up a couple of initiating coverage reports and get, you know, somewhat smart on it, do a couple of guide point calls and, you know, be conversant, right? But really deep knowledge, you know, what people are thinking, you know, what companies are, you know, what companies are thinking, right? And what are, what are the next moves and, you know, how do you, you know, how do you divide, if you have a client in that industry, how do you advise them on, you know, what other people are doing, how they should be positioning themselves, right? That is, you know, if you can solve that Rubik's Cube like that, you're going to have a very long and successful and lucrative career in investment banking. So, you know, look, the extra, extroversion helps, but there are a lot of introverted people that you'll meet too um, <laughs> that don't really, aren't as, you know, hey, you know, I need to go out and have three three glasses of scotch to, to talk to you, right? They're like, hey, let, you know, like, let's get on Zoom call, let's talk business, right? Um, yeah. So that's... There's, there's a lot of, you know, I, I think the, uh, my advice really is more of like, just be, you know, know, know yourself, know your strengths, right? Because you're not going to be able to, you can only kind of BS it for so long, right? Yeah. And then people are going to gravitate to you because of, you know, who you are and how you, how you conduct yourself and, you know, ultimately kind of what value you can deliver to them. Because ultimately as a banker, you're ultimately, you know, you're an agent, you're not a principal, right? You're advising, but you're not actually the person who's cutting the check. And they know that too. You're earning a commission. You're earning a fee based on that, right? So, you know, obviously they're gonna, you know, your clients gonna have that in mind too. So you want to kind of, you definitely want to be seen as a person who's playing the long game, and you know, delivering value for the the fees that you're getting paid. Because a lot of people they're they're happy to pay fees. Like if I'm, you you know, if you have a good, you know, a lot of people look for good investment bankers, right? Like, hey, you know, I really want to work with this person. Um, and you see that a lot. Like, hey, you know, who covers the space? Like who are the bankers? Like who are the really good bankers that actually know that? And candidly, they're just like one or two most of the time. And if you're that one or two, you're you're always going to eat. Yeah, be that yeah. be the guy that be be that guy that people call that be that guy that or that be that man or woman that you know people bring up in conversations when they're asking about you know what bankers to talk about in a particular subsector. Like if you if you can be in that conversation, you're going to be you're yeah. going to be steps ahead of of others. Yeah, irrespective of like you know bank you know pedigree or finance capabilities like that that's money is fungible it's not really the uh you know it's it's nice to have but it's not um yeah 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 people talk they talk to each other you know they they know they talk a lot they they know yeah especially people within industry yeah they 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 know yeah they they talk about all the bankers and just like talk about (laughs) so it's a very, you know, it, it's a, it becomes a very, very small industry. Everyone knows, you know, and now 10 years later, like it really is. It's a very small industry. Everyone knows each other. Your reputation is very, very important. Mm, interesting. Well, let's, I think that's a good segue to the next topic, which is quitting investment banking, right? We, you know, 
we, we talked briefly about this on our first call, but yeah. I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into that about how did our process go down? Because I know for a fact, it wasn't one day you woke up, you're like, I'm quitting this job. If it took me six months and I was on a job for like less than two years, my God, I, I don't know how long it took you. So why, why don't you <laughs> walk me through or walk us through the process of like when that thought first kind of came and I usually like to think that just there's a moment you knew, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but was there like a moment you knew I got, I got to get out? Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, I think for me, there was a kind of a goal for myself that I wanted to achieve, right? I wanted to make VP um, and then, you know, there's a certain level of, you know, I wanted to get to a certain level of, of title and compensation, right? So after I kind of, I, I hit that, and then I think I, you know, there was more of, you know, self-discovery, like what do I actually want to do with the rest of my life? And if this was something that I really felt passionate about where, um, you know, I think for me, the, 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 the litmus test was, you know, I saw a lot of senior bankers, you know, and they travel and this is, you know, obviously pre COVID, but this is, mm-hmm. you know, they travel Monday, Monday, to, Monday to Thursday, you know, they work all weekend and it's a lot. Um, and you know, I saw their, you know, I would see some of their, you know, some have very good family situations. Some had, you know, less than ideal ones. And I think for me, it was like, Hey, once I had, you know, when I have a family, when I, you know, get married, have a kid, you know, I really want to be like a present father and a present husband. So that was obviously very, very important to me. And I think, you know, after a few years, I realized that, um, you know, the, the potential rewards of investment banking, uh, didn't really align with that goal, um, of, you know, you know, wanting to be very present, um, physically, mentally, like as a, as a parent and as a, as, as a spouse. So, you know, after I got married and that was very, you know, I got married in 20, in 2017. And that was, you know, around that time I was like, okay, you know, this, this is great, but this is not something that, um, potentially long-term. So, you know, when I moved, when I went to Jeffrey's, you know, that was an attempt to reset and, you know, go, go at it from more of a coverage perspective. Whereas it was a primarily M&A banker and, you know, that journey was a year and a half. And I, I know there was, I don't know if there was like one specific moment, but I definitely, you know, as that experience progressed, I realized that it just was not, you know, that, that seat was not for me. Um, and I needed to, I wanted to do something different with, with my life. And it was hard, you know, 10 years, you know, I think a big portion of it is as a, you know, the, the longer you're in a job, um, I mean, it's a bank, but longer you're in a job, like, you know, it becomes your identity too. People know you as a certain thing. So yeah. it, it's obviously very different, you know, when you move out of that, there's not only the financial, but also just, you know, socially, you kind of like people, you know, there is a transition that you're going to go through and it gets harder as you get older. But, um, you know, I think for me, you know, that those were considerations, but, you know, the overarch, my paramount objective was what I just, you know, kind of talked about earlier was like family. Mm-hmm. And luckily, you know, um, you know, talked about Airbnb business. My, my wife's family had a, had a, uh, apartment that was vacated, that was being vacated in December of 2016. And we had to read about Airbnbs and everything. And we're like, okay, well, look, this is a small investment and let's see, let's see, you know, this actually makes sense. And then we did one and it was like, oh, wow, this is great and, and scalable. And then we continued to grow that business um, into, into what we, you know, what we have today. So they were lucky to kind of fall backwards into this business. Um, it wasn't like, Hey, we had written out a business plan and executed. It was like, 
it was something that we were trying and it, you know that and other kind of potential ventures and this one actually had traction and we were able to scale and and, and luckily you know some good tailwinds with airbnb as a you know kind of macro trend and you know low rates and yeah you know good good economic environment so yeah and it, we, were, we were very you know we're very like we're not smart than anyone else we're, i think we're very fortunate to uh benefit from some some good tailwinds yeah market market dynamics always trump individual performance you know there's a saying about that right um not exactly. discrimination at all I, i'm pretty sure like you you work super hard and you know what you're doing um but so you you didn't have so it wasn't like quit start the business you had something going already and then you wait until that thing really took off before you finally like had it in your two week notice basically right yeah, I mean, as you get more senior, it's not a two, you know, it's, it's definitely not a two-week <laughs> it's, it, it's a conversation because, you know, you want to, you know, relationships are important. You want to preserve relationships. To, so it's important yeah. um, to do it in a way that's, uh, you know, that doesn't leave people feel like you you left them hanging. Um, so you want to be, um, you know, and, and even as a junior person, like, you know, your reputation uh, is important and you want to, you know, make sure you maintain that even if you leave. So yeah, like don't quit two weeks and like leave a bunch of crap for the next person because you're going to, you're going to be, uh, your voice, your name will be, your name will be, uh, <laughs> spoke upon poorly by all the people that, that are left holding the bag. Uh, but yeah. no, yeah, we, um, you know, we, we were able to kind of continue to grow that business. So we're like, Hey, there was something here that, uh, ultimately, you know, decided that, Hey, um, doesn't make sense to, you know, divide our, our attention, which is really focus on this and, and see if this is something that we can, we can scale. Mm-hmm. And luckily after, you know, 10 years of investment banking, you know, being able to accumulate capital and, you know, have some runway where, you know, we take some risks. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did that conversation go with, I, I'm assuming the group head uh, at Jeffries? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of the person that hired me in the group head. Yeah, it was, um, you know, you know, so those, no, none of those conversations are none of those conversations are easy. Um, it was, you know, there were multiple conversations, uh, oh, but okay. I think you know they understood that you know kind of where I was coming from and ultimately kind of what I wanted to do, and you know I think we made the transition easy for everyone, um, so that you know I wasn't, you know, they they were able to. It, it was a, it was a it was an easy it, it was a it was an easy transition for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it happened over a few months transitioning stuff over. So it wasn't, um, you know, d- d- didn't leave anyone holding a bag or anything like that. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't rage quit. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Oh, I, yeah, no, that, <laughs> uh, no, 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 no rage quitting. Uh, you know, there is the, the, the office kind of, you know, or there's the meme of, you know, yeah. throwing out the, throughout the paper and walking out. Uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I did that when no one was looking, but uh, yeah. not, not in front of the, not in front of the group head. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. That, that makes a lot more sense then. Yeah. So you kept pretty good relationships with like everyone else you worked with in banking up to this point. You just um, never, you know, you never know, you know, like, and now I'm an advisor to a SPAC, right? So that's yeah. still very, you know, investment banking capital, capital markets focused. So a lot of that has to do with relationships that I built over a decade. So, Excuse me. So, so how? So right now, um, so let's 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 talk more about this, uh, more about the Airbnb business, right? So you run the Airbnb business. I know there's like two different divisions to it. You also run Scaly Partners. You also advisor to SPAC. How do you balance your days? Like what what takes up majority of your days, and like um, like what what is, what does that look like your day to day right now? 
Yeah, I mean, my my main business is the Airbnb business. So it's, I guess like you know, talk, talk about that too. Like what what is yeah. the Airbnb business as well? Sure. Um, you know, we have 26 properties that, um, you know, we, we manage, own, operate in two, you know, two, two markets, right? In Philadelphia and Pennsylvania and in the Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee. So, you know, my wife and I, uh, you know, started the business. We have five full-time staff, uh, customer service, accounting, uh, technology uh, that work on the business. And obviously, you know, the, the, the staff that cleans the, the Airbnbs. Um, you know, we've grown that to, you know, seven figure business now. Um, so, you know, that, but that is our, that is our prime, that is my primary focus day to day is, is growing that business, um, optimizing it, you know, making sure our guests have a great stay, making sure, um, you know, that we're, we're maximizing margins that we are, you know, growing responsibly. Uh, that is, you know, uh, you know, a, a vast majority of my day. Uh, ScaleAid is a investment, you know, firm that a, a, a few friends and I started. So it, it's, you know, that's very episodic um, when we have opportunities that come in that we, you know, we all kind of pitch in and diligence and decide to invest. Um, you know, we, we we did, you know, in the last semester, we, we invested in a Series B round in, in Mercury, which is a uh, online uh, business blank banking platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so FinTech, um, you know, a little bit of uh, FinTech primarily. And then uh, SPAC again, uh, the SPAC is more episodic. So, you know, I'm an investor in a GP, um, an advisor to the SPAC. Uh, it obviously SPACs are, you know, kind of the, the market is challenged right now. So, um, you know, my, my as an advisor, I, I make sure that we have really good connectivity to the investment banking world. Um, so if there are sell side processes, if there are, you know, people we need to speak with on the ECM desk or, you know, kind of wherever we need to speak with, you know, I'm able to tap my network and find the right person quickly so that we can have the, those conversations, you know, be in this, be in processes that make sense for us. Um, and also just understand, you know, what, from a capital markets perspective, um, what is, you know, what are people thinking, you know, how, how's the market trading? So, so that, that, that is my, that is my role in the, uh, in the SPAC. Mm. I see. I see. So Airbnb business takes up like 90% of your time, as it sounds like. like yeah, no, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's a major, it's a substantial majority of my day it, and purposely. So that it, <clears throat> it is, um, you know, it's a business that we, you know, obviously wholly own that, you know, has, you know, we think has the most upside for us. So that is definitely where I spend the most time. Um, the other, the other stuff is, you know, investing and, uh, you know, being advised, you know, kind of helping along the investments that, that, that we, uh, that we were part of. Yeah. So walk me through how building this business was like for the early days, like pre when you're still working in investment banking, by the way, I have no idea how you balance that. So maybe like talk a little about how like you balance <laughs> both investment banking job and building business part-time of your wife, but what has the journey been in the past, like five years for you building out this business? Yeah. Look, like, in, in the beginning, you, start, you know? Yeah, in the beginning, it was it, it was it was tough, right? It was, um, you know, we had, you know, we hired help in New York, but I was, you know, doing a lot of the the desktop work, right? You know, making sure that, you know, these investments made sense, um, you know, hiring, um, you know, help, making sure, you know, things were being put together properly. So it was a lot, it, it was, it, you know, there was definitely like very, very long days kind of after signing off on investment banking, you know, kind of you know, starting to work on your own business, like getting up at, you know, seven in the morning on a Saturday and, and working on it, you know, for, you know, so a lot, a lot of the fun stuff got, 
<clears throat> a lot of the fun things that would that would did, that I did before, you know, those were you know put to the right, and you know that time was allocated to towards uh, towards building the business. Um, but luckily, you know, we we're able to kind of grow fairly quickly, so we were able to you know hire underground people that were able to do a lot more of the kind of the the day to day physical work. And you know, for me, it was a lot more of making sure that you know we were we were making smart investments. So a lot of underwriting, a lot of model building, you know, things that. Um, things that I was very familiar with that, you know, that, that, that I could do. And then after I quit, um, you know, we really kind of grew that, you know, grew that business more, um, you know, started buying a lot more properties, doing more, you know, doing more renovations and, you know, being, and then now luckily we had the kind of tailwind of COVID, you know, where, you know, travel was great. Well, in initially COVID was very bad. Yeah. We had a lot of we we, did, we we had to shrink our portfolio materially um, in you know second the second quarter of twenty uh, uh, gosh I remember twenty twenty what do you mean by that right? you had to sell yeah twenty yeah yeah we had to we had to get out of leases we had to sell yeah because um, you know number we didn't know how long you know COVID would last and the the travel industry and you know things just stopped making sense so we had to you know kind of exit out of investments exit out of leases mm -hmm. um, so that was those were definitely very difficult times um, but you know I think that was where the investment banking part really came in because you know we were able to make you know one we had really good numbers right like you know we had a full time bookkeeper so like we knew like in real time how the business was performing real time KPIs that so we can manage the business appropriately. Um, a lot of our peers didn't have that. You can see them really struggle how to make decisions. Um, you know, for as for for instance, you know, it doesn't make sense to keep an investment if you were going to be in the red for six months and it would take you a year and a half to just to break even. You know, that just doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you'd rather kind of just you know pay the exit fee and you know kind of start new. Um, so you know, situations like that. And luckily, you know, we were able to keep a core part of the business. And as you know, COVID tailwinds, you know, uh, started happening. When when COVID started turning in June, July, um, those are four very scary months, March through through June. Um, mm -hmm. But then, you know, we were able to see we saw real time the business starting to pivot, and then we really, you know double down really, really hard on growing the portfolio. Um, in an intelligent way, we, we, you know, we didn't do everything. Uh, we probably could have been more aggressive, um, but, you know, we have a very nice, you know, I think we have a very nice, we have a very nice portfolio that, um, you know, we have very, you know, some very kind of best in class margins, which um, are much more, you know, free cash flow margins for me are much more of important, you know, uh, versus like revenue, because, you know, revenue is a vanity metric. It's really, yeah. you know, free cash flow. Yeah, yeah. What 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 is the free cash flow metric of like a typical like Airbnb business? Um, you know, like so, you know, uh, SMB so uh, small medium businesses. You know, a a normal small business is probably like twenty twenty five percent. Um, you know, top class in Airbnb world is probably like thirty. You know, thirty five plus. Mm -hmm. So you know, I think we're you know we're definitely on the top quartile of that, and we definitely um mm -hmm. you know are 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 you know have. Had made good investments that you know uh, that generate good had generate good cash flow. Um, yeah. And look, the, the market's you know changing right now, right? The interest rates are a lot higher. The, you know, economy is slowing down. Um, but luckily, you know, our, our portfolio at least today has continued to perform. Um, so, you know, I just their headlines can you know ch macro can macro is a very broad brush. Um, so just you know say that as you know, an operator, it's a very different view when you're operating in business. Although, you know, obviously much more micro perspective um, than if you're in investment banking where, you know, you're being paid to kind of look 
you know, 30,000 foot view. So, um, yeah. yeah, there is a, there, there's kind of a balance there. So actually, I should do a little research into, um, the Airbnb business before we hopped on this podcast. Cause I was like, man, if I'm going to get on this podcast, I better at least know like semi what I'm talking about, or else <laughs> it's going to be very embarrassing. So because we're getting very deep into the technicals and I kind of want to dig a little deeper into the business, but from, from my knowledge, there are five different business models for Airbnb, right? You can rent out your own home. You can rent out a portion of your home or your backyard. You can do rental arbitrage, which is basically you lease a apartment building or something and you just rent that out, assuming the apartment complex lets you do it. Uh, you can do glamping options, which basically like you have an RV out in the desert like Joshua Tree. People, people use that. Um, or you can become like a rental management, right? Uh, basically customer service. Like you, you kind of shut like when i was in malaysia there's people messaging me telling me what to do and stuff i was like i'm pretty sure this is not the host they hire someone to do this am i right about that there's technically like five business models to get into airbnb yeah i i think broadly you're correct right there 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 are multiple um and you know you can divide it however you like but yeah you're right there's there's multiple business models within kind of broadly airbnb so um you know if i was to recast it a bit you know there's definitely um, you know, more experience, more of the experience, you know, the clamping, um, you know, part of it, you know, and there's like online experiences as well, um, where, you know, you, you have, you're running out part of your house or, you know, have RV out in Joshua Tree. Um, there is, you know, rental arbitrage. I think you mentioned that, yeah. uh, that's where, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a very popular strategy. We use that strategy too, where, you know, you can, uh, what you would approach a, property manager, like a gray star, some, someone that owns the building pay, you know, a lease payment and then have their permission to re-rent that, um, arbitrage the rent and the revenue between Airbnb and the, the fixed rent that you're paying and earn a return that way. Um, you know, th that can be a very, it, it, it has been for us and it can be a very, um, rewarding strategy. There are, there are drawbacks to that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then lastly, you can, you know, be, you know, you can, you can buy property and manage it yourself, which we also do as well. So, you know, you own the actual property so you can participate in the equity upside and the tax benefits, but also um, participate in the short-term rental part of it too. So, you know, there are different facets of, of value creation there. What, so what what does mostly trust BNB work with? Are you guys buying properties or are you guys like um, leasing out properties? Both, um, you know, we 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 lease. Excuse me, we lease out properties. Um, you know, they, they're they're very good cash flow generators. Um, if right. you pick the right markets, uh, the issue you run into is you become a very you know the taxes become very it, 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 they're taxed at a very high rate. Hmm. Um, and then if you combine rental arbitrage with buying, uh, you're able to enjoy a lot of depreciation benefits from owning property, specifically bonus depreciation. Where you're able to, you know, if you buy a million dollar property, you can take you can take a first year depreciation deduction of up to three hundred thousand um, dollars, which you know on an after tax basis is you know over a hundred thousand dollars of of tax that you would save. So if you combine those two strategies, uh, you kind of get the best of both worlds, right? You get you know you, you get high, you get you get to create a company that has high after tax free cash flow, which is a metric that I'm intensely focused on because that's ultimately the money that you get to keep yeah. right revenue yeah. is just money that comes in before you pay everyone and you know you pay everyone and it gets your profit but then you also got to pay the government too and then you know that after tax 
free cash flow is uh, ultimately, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially if you're running your own business, uh, is, is what um, you know that that is the that is the most important metric that uh, or that, that that we focus on. So yeah, so we do. So we so we so in a long way of saying we do both. Yeah. What what are so this, this is kind of like a loaded question, and I think it might be a little too broad, but you feel free to answer however you want to answer. What are some good markets for Airbnb right now? Because um, <clears throat> I, I know you're, you're mostly focused on Pennsylvania and Tennessee. Like, is there a reason why you pick those markets? Like, why not like, I don't know, Texas or, or New York or California or something like that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think w- one is um, some of these markets are like New York, for example, is regulated. Um, you know, you only can do 30 day plus stays. So mm. uh, there are people doing <clears throat> short term stays, but it's, I don't know, when, when a place is regulated, um, if you're on the opposite of regulation, it's very hard to scale a business because, you know, there's always that risk that, you know, there's that zero risk, right? Where everything becomes, it can be a zero overnight, which, you know, it's just a very, very shaking foundation to build yeah. uh, a business. You know, if your if your goal is to build a long term business, it's you know tough to do. Um, yeah, there there are states in the south for sure that are, are are good. You know, there are you know Dallas, Austin are both very good markets. Denver's a great market. New Orleans can be a really good market um, if some of the regulations have changed. Hmm. Uh, you know, those are very good markets. Commercially, you know, Houston's kind of tough right now. It's very saturated. Miami's. Uh, tough as well. It's kind of, it's you know, there's a lot of supply that's come on market. So, you know, you have to kind of balance um, demand and supply growth, you know, demand growth and supply growth, and that's where you know, I think with, you know, for your your audience that are probably maybe more finance oriented, that's where <clears throat> being very comfortable with numbers and analysis is going to really help you. And you'll be surprised at the number of people that can't do math appropriately that cannot, you know operate a simple like five line Excel model. So to the extent that you can do that, candidly, you are, you know, in the top quartile, not decile of, you know, not just Airbnb business people, but just business people, you know, entrepreneurs broadly. So <laughs> it's definitely a skill set that um, uh, is very, very valuable for, for anyone with finance training, but, you know, wants to kind of do something, um, do something on their own. Whether, you know, and, you know, they don't have to quit, you don't have to quit your job, right? You know, you can, you know, plenty of people have um, side hustles that, um, you know, that do very, very well while they, while they keep a full-time job. So just a lot of different flavors of, uh, of how you want to reach your goal. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of skills, what would you say is like the biggest skill you have to learn um, in order to pivot into like this type of business? Like, cause I think becoming an entrepreneur is like, it's skill in itself. Like it's a whole entire shift of mindset of how you view the world in a way right because now it's like you're basically out on your own it's like you have to learn how to sell yourself i think the biggest skill or the largest skill i had to learn just from content creation e-commerce is how to sell how to market right i always thought content yeah. creation was just like oh you just create content but at the end of the day content creation is just masking the word marketing right <laughs> unique content creation is really what it is it's marketing of course it's like you know you gotta be genuine be yourself and stuff but if you don't have the market, content creation becomes a lot easier. Right. Yeah. So what would you say is like the biggest like skill or hub you have to like overcome and learn? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And like, as I think personal journey, or yeah, it could be personal or technical. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think actually it's a lot of personal. It's very yeah, you, know, you have to you have to shift the way you think. When you work for someone else, you're an advocate on behalf of a client, right? So the way that you approach business, you know, can be some, you know, and, and, and for M&A specifically, it can be very zero sum. 
And that's the way that you approach negotiations and, and transactions, right? Because your client's paying you a lot of money to advocate for their best interests to the nth degree. <clears throat> Excuse me. As an entrepreneur, as a business person, that may, that, that may or may not be the right approach. And I find that to be not the right approach for, for many different situations because, you know, it's a long-term game, right? Like if you always are that person that's difficult to work with, you're not going to see good deal flow, right? If you're always going to be that person that wants every last piece of meat on that bone, right? You're not going to be viewed as someone that people want to do business with because ultimately as a, as a, as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you want to develop a network of people that you work with consistently and people are going to want to work with you if they make money too, right? You just, mm. you can't be just you that makes money. Everyone has to make money. So I think that is the mindset shift that for me took a while to get to. And I still continue to work on that. It's, you know, sometimes it's okay to lose a little bit. Sometimes it's okay to leave a little bit more for the other person. That other person's happy because you realize that there aren't that many people out there that are, you know, it's not, it's a team sport, right? Even though you're an entrepreneur, it's really a team sport. A lot of what I've learned is from other people and it's because, you know, I'm able to deliver value to them, they're delivering value to me. And then, you know, we both, everyone kind of, everyone succeeds. So I look at it, it's, it's a very much of a one plus one equals like four or five game, right? It's really not the, hey, there's a pie here and, you know, it's going to be a, you know, you, you know, Andrew and I are going to lock ourselves in a room and see how much pie, you know, who gets the most piece of that pie, because that's just not going to be a very, you know, you're not going to, it's going to be a very, you're going to be, you're going to be, it's going to be hard to be a successful entrepreneur if that's your mindset. Um, yeah. At least that, yeah, that, that's my experience, but. I, I, I 100% agree with what you just said there. And I actually never thought of it that way, which is like, when you're working a job and you want to get a raise, it is, I don't care how much output I produce for a company. I could produce the same output. I just want to get paid more, right? Cause you, you don't care. You just want to get paid more. It is, I, I need to win and I don't care about the company winning. I don't care about my manager winning, but what I learned so far, you know, and I think the biggest example I learned from this is doing brand deals. When we work with brands, it's like, yeah, they're, they're going to pay you, but if your content doesn't perform, they're going to work with you again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really like, you got to figure out how both parties can win. Like not only does it feel better that way, but also like it's it's a long term game. You play a lot of Sorry, times, yeah. right? Because people, I, I mean, you, you say banking real small, entrepreneurship world. Depending on what industry you're in, it could also be pretty small. I'm Very assuming small. I'm assuming the Airbnb like people who are top of the game, like you probably know a good handful of them. It gets smaller as you go up, obviously. Um, so no, that, that's definitely, that's definitely like a point that I was like, oh, interesting. I never thought of it that way, but it's actually very true. That's like another learning you have to learn as well too. It's not so much about like, how can I win now? How can our yeah. people win? Cause our people win, you somehow end up winning as well. You know, it's kind of like, a, you, you, you almost always, you almost all, and in my experience, you almost always win when, when you both win, like you end up winning more because there's a next deal, right? If you. You know, just a crude example, like, you know, there's a hundred bucks and like, you know, I got 90, you got 10, like, great, I won, right? But then there's no next deal. But, you know, if, you know, it's, you know, 55, 45, each way or the other, but there's like 50 deals in the future, like we all going to make a lot of money, right? And and that's what you want. You want everyone to be like really happy to do a deal with you because they made money, you made money. And then it's like, what's the next deal we're going to work on together? Let's bring in more people, make it bigger. Like, that's what, like, that is what you want, right? Because recreating relationships every single time is exhausting and just like yeah. it's not a scalable strategy right you need to 
when you work with people, you need, you want them to continue to work with you and say good things about you because that's going to snowball. That's, that's the real flywheel, right? To use kind of that, you know, I think it's an overused term, but that is the flywheel <laughs> of entrepreneurship is that you have a great reputation and you get a lot of deal flow. People say good things about you because that's the hardest part. You get more deals, you do bigger things, you make more money, and then, you know, you have a bigger network and then that, that really will grow on itself. And, and, um, and, yeah. and and really kind of help you. And it just makes it a more enjoyable experience. Like to your point, <clears throat> knowing um, the other people in the Airbnb business, we talk, you know, we all talk business together, but it's great. You know, you see them at the same conferences, you go out and have drinks and you have big dinners. And it's like, it's nice. You kind of grow up together in the business and it mm. becomes a very enjoyable experience um, because yeah, it, it's very, it can be very, very lonely. Uh, entrepreneurship can be very, very lonely, just so, like a job can be very lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So man, like, you know, sometimes you just, you know, you need to just like shoot a text to someone and be like, Hey man, like dealing with this, like, you know, have you felt the same thing? And they're like, Oh yeah, sure. Just give me a call. And they just hop on the phone, talk an hour, like shoot, you know, kind of just like shoot, shoot the breeze and talk business, talk family. And then you just, you, you, you know, you feel a lot better about it. Yeah, you feel a lot better. It's, it's going to, it's going to help you, uh, get in the right, the right mindset. Yeah, because cause I think one of the struggles that I go through a lot is like, there's not a lot of people I can talk to about like the things I'm doing. Because I feel like when you work in corporate setting, you have your peers, especially investment banking, like your buddies, up, you're, you're up at 1 a.m., your buddies up at 1 a.m., right? Yeah. So you're talking through Skype or whatever. But as, I feel like a lot of times the entrepreneur, it's like you're up by yourself. And it's like, I mean, you have your wife, you have, I have my girlfriend, but aside from that, it's like you can tell them about your problems, your issues, but it's kind of hard to have like that real, I mean, for you, it's a little different because your, your wife is your partner <laughs> in the <laughs> business, but you know, it, it definitely can be a very lonely journey and having people side by side with you, especially like others who are like kind of at the same level that are growing with yeah. you, it can, it can be a, like a tremendous difference. On that note, like, have you ever, what was kind of like your darkest time in entrepreneurship? I know entrepreneurship, it's, it's a roller coaster up and down. Yeah. Like, was there ever a day where I'm like, Oh shoot! I almost lost my business today. Or like, what was like the biggest failure slash like biggest mistake you ever made? Yeah, I, I mean, it was COVID. It was, it was. I think it was like March, like fourteenth or fifteenth. Um, that was a day where Airbnb allowed everyone to cancel their reservation without penalty, mm. and you, you know, take the hit, right? You know, yeah, you know, we as a host take the hit, right? So, you know, I remember we look, we one day, you know, the, the 14th or 15th, we go and look on our systems and we literally have nothing on the books. There's no, all, all, all there is is costs, right? There's lease payments, there's mortgage payments, there's electricity bills, there's all, you know, a bunch of fixed costs and there was no revenue. Um, that was very, that was very scary. It was like, well, what, like, we don't have a business right now because there's no revenue. Um, we have a collection of assets and liabilities, but um, there's no there, there's no revenue. So, you know, that was when you know you really had to dig deep. Like, hey, is there something here? You know, look at the numbers. You know, obviously, you know, you got to look at the numbers and just be very creative on how you can, you know, what parts of the business are worth saving and you know what what parts you have to let go. Um, and then, you know, play for that. If there's recovery in three months, then, you know, what position do you want to be in? So just like that kind of scenario testing, um, it were very, very, very stressful times. And, you know, and, you know, in the backdrop of COVID, right, everyone was like sequestered at home, you know, in New York, there were times that the grocery store was like closed or there was no food. Right. And there was like crazy stuff on the streets so it was very it was a very stressful time yeah um like that was probably the worst time that that kind of mid to 
end of March period was very, very, very difficult. Um, and, you know, candidly now, you know, as things are slowed down a little, you know, things are slowed down, obviously, year over year, because, you know, last year was so good. You know, I think that's the strength of, you know, entrepreneurship, you know, kind of go through and, and banking, right? Like, I've gone through, you know, you go through a lot in banking, right? Like, you really push yourself, like, you get dumped an assignment at 10 o'clock and you're like, this needs to be done by seven in the morning. And you're like, Oh, I guess we got to, you know, you just, you grind through it. And then, you know, you take that experience and apply it to your business and like, okay, well, we're going to get through this and you work hard and you, you know, kind of figure it out. And, you know, luckily we were one of the lucky ones to be able to get through the side and thrive. Um, we know a lot of people that didn't make it either. So, um, you know, I think we're very fortunate, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to be able to, to survive and, and, and thrive. So we, we don't take that lightly at all. We know that we know we're lucky. We know that, you know, hard work and, you know, luck, you know, equal you know, whatever parts of play in it. So, um, yeah, I think mean, that entrepreneurship, that's what it is too. You know, it just, you got to dig deep sometimes, make the hard decisions. And there's things, there, there's no one to tell you if, you if it's the right decision or wrong decision. There's no one to ask, like, you have to just like, you know, you, you need to have original thought, right? Like, Hey, this is what I believe. And like, stick with that. Right. Because other people's advice can is useless. They don't know your business, right? It's all platitudes and like very high level things. Right. If you're in that situation, you got to trust yourself, right? Like, Hey, this is what I believe in. And you guys, and then, you know, you, you got to stick with that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a, you know, you gotta have that kind of intestinal fortitude, um, and, and, and intellectual fortitude that like, trust in yourself and that you're making a decision that, that that's correct, but also, you know, going to be Bayesian about it too, right? Like there's new data that says like, you're wrong. Like, okay, well, I got to pivot. That's it's, it's, it's not, you know, you don't want to be hard headed, but you know, you want to have like strong feelings, but you know, held lightly and be all, always open to, to, to new data and, you know, new data. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what you just said there was actually so important and it's something that <clears throat> I, <clears throat> sorry, I personally struggle with a lot as well, which is like, you don't have anyone to ask. It's like something goes wrong. You're like, I mean, yep, yep. I'm pretty sure you have mentors, right? You have mentors you can reference, but it's like they are giving you advice based on their experience and what they know. But sometimes like, I think like a lot of decisions we make as an entrepreneur, this also the personal side of it as well, right? It's not just like something's, it's a lot, it's like 8% business, but it's also 20% like why you, because you became an entrepreneur because it was personal in a way, right? If you want to just make money, you probably would just stay to invest in bank. There's a reason why you became an entrepreneur. So it's always that personal aspect that comes into making these decisions as well. It's like, what do I want as a person? Right. And how does it fit into like my goals as an individual? Um, and I think that's the hardest part. It's just like, you don't have a manager to ask. You got a manager to tell you what to do. And I remember once an analyst in investment banking, all I wanted was more high level strategic thinking and to have more of like a voice and more value add. And now it's kind of funny. That's all I do all day. I'm just like, damn, I kind of miss being told to do. I kind of, that's kind of nice. Like, <laughs> I just want to be told to do it and like end my day and like, you know, whatever. Right. But no, it's every single day you're making like these like strategic decisions in a way. It's just like, it's not the way you think it is. Like, oh, we do this. Something just something. It could be as simple as like, do I tell this person this thing right now? Or I don't know. Should I? Is this a, this is the right choice? I'm not too sure. But I mean, I, I, that that's that's great. That's crazy. Like, what what would you say? So you would say like that was definitely like your your lowest time. Was there any like beside like you know closing down all these like different facilities? I sorry, different rentals and selling them off. What was like the hardest decision you had to make if you had to pick one? 
Yeah, I mean, just just closing closing stuff that was like massively profitable the year before, uh, and but just yeah. just knowing that you know, and a lot of time and effort that went into it, and being able to be like, look, that's a sunk cost, right? Like, you know, that was based on a certain set of facts, and the world has changed, and you know, even under different scenarios, like just the payback, or like it was just too much risk to, you know, that, that just didn't make sense. So you know, it, it really is like having to call the herd, right? Like things that you spend a lot of time on, you know, a lot of blood, sweat and tears, right? That you're like, you gotta kill it because like, you know, like on a probability basis, like it's unlikely to work out. It's gonna drag, it's gonna drag you down. It's gonna drag your decision-making ability. It's gonna drag your clarity. It's gonna drag you financially. Um, so yeah, like <clears throat> there was definitely, a, you know, a couple of ones that like were near and dear to us that we had run for a long time or like mm. just, you know, th you know, there's meaningful that we had to close um, that, you know, in hindsight, candidly, there were definitely the right decisions. I'm glad we did that. Um, they were definitely the right decisions, but you know, during that time we're being like, ah, well, like this sucks. Yeah. You're losing something, right? You're like, this was so good, but I, I, I have to do it. And you're like, I don't know if this is the right choice. I may regret this later. You, yeah. The things you don't know. I mean, hindsight is 2020, right? But yeah. Not, I mean, we, we didn't know we could be wrong. Like, oh man, we just, we spent all this money and to do all this stuff and put this thing together. And now like, you know, we're going to sell it for peanuts, but, and then, you know, <laughs> it bounced back two months later. Like, oh, well, that was really dumb. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Like, I think part of it's just like, you know, we, you know, and it's just probably, you know, I think I very much now it's like, probabilistic thinking right like i don't i really try not to think in absolutes it's like probability wise like this is unlikely to work right so you kill it right and it, you know and, but you realize that like you know there, there is a possibility to work and then sometimes it goes against you but you know if you make enough decisions you know with the right probability the right weighted decisions then you know you're going to be you know better off in the long run and but recognizing that you're going to make mistakes and that's just part of the process i think that too right like especially in banking you're expected to be perfect right everything has to be right and perfect but I think, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, like, candidly, you, you can't, you're going to be wrong because like, it's, you're just one person or you have a small team and you have to make a lot of decisions and they're going to be wrong. And, you know, you can't spend like three days on one decision, right? It's like, all right, like <clears throat> I got to, you know, I got a bunch of things I need to do today. And like, it's the 80, 20 rule, right? Like, you know, look, this is what I think and it makes sense. And, you know, I make a decision and then you move on. Um, so yeah, I think for us, like a lot of that, like speed of execution, at least in our organization on the Airbnb side, is very, very important. Like we really try to make decisions quickly and implement them quickly and then not, you know, kind of dither, dither around and like, uh, maybe, maybe not take a long time to do stuff because, um, you know, we've seen that to be, you know, an anchor in other organizations. Um, yeah. But, you know, like we're small, we're at 26, right? So we're not like that big. There are people with, you know, a hundred or 200, um, but you know, this works for us, right? Like, as, like I said, in the beginning, we had certain goals that we wanted to achieve. Um, and, you know, got to spend all day with my kid, you know, took her out to the park and take her to school and all, you know, like those things are important to me Yeah. Um, versus, um, you know, some, you know, other things that are important to other people. So yeah. again, you know, just the goal, you know, whatever goals that you have for yourself, like the long-term planning, like, what do you, what, like, what do you want out of life? Right. And then you drive towards that goal relentlessly. You know, I think that goal setting is, is, is extremely important. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's like one of the biggest thing I had to unlearn from investment banking, which is like perfection shouldn't exist in entrepreneurship. You don't want perfection because it's like it, it's going to hurt you. You're never going to launch. You're never going to make a choice and you can never move on to the next thing, basically. Yeah, you, you're. Yeah, exactly. Like that extra 20% is going to take you like 10 times as long. Yeah. 
and then you end up, you just end up, <clears throat> you just nothing, just nothing ends up getting done actually. And then because nothing is ever perfect, like there is no such thing. Yeah. Do you, do you work more now, <laughs> or, or or did you work more when you were in this and banking? Man, I worked twenty four hours. A day. I yeah, I, I worked. <laughs> I mean, I, I worked a lot in banking, right? But you know, at a certain point, you just kind of shut off and just like, look, you know, whatever, you know, kind of it's done, or yeah. you know, you're in between deals and you're just, you're you're, you're kind of on the beach. Uh, no, I mean. I think that that's the cool part. That's that's the both the, the the blessing and the curse, right? Like we're blessed because there's a lot. There's a big opportunity set, and we're excited. So we're lucky that like we have a lot of things to work on because you know there are attractive opportunities that we want to drive, right? So it's good, right? You don't want to have no opportunities sitting around like, well, this sucks. Uh, but you know, yeah, I know you work all the time. You think about work all the time. Um, but you, but the, the nice part is you, you get to choose, right? Like you get to choose when, like when I want to shut off, I, I can, right? Like, Hey, you know, like I'm going on vacation next week, right? We're, we got a house in the Hamptons and we're going to, we're, we're going to work from there and we're going to, you know, enjoy time with family. Right. I, I wouldn't be able to do that during banking. Right. You know, it's after Labor Day and, you know, it's like time to grind. So yeah, that's the nice part, right? I get to, you know, take the whole family out and we get to enjoy that. Um, so, you know, that, that's the, but I'm still going to be, I'm still going to be working a ton when I'm there. But uh, you know, I'll I'll be working you know when I want you know so it's more inspiring um, work too. It's not yeah. an investment banking where it's like oh god, this client just needs. It's to just you're working for yourself. You know, you're, just, yeah. you're working for yourself. The, yeah. all, the equity accrues to you, right? And it may be a smaller dollar amount, right? But it's yours, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, I was working on like billion dollar deals, and now I work on like million dollar deals because it's like you know, but it's fine. But it's like because it's mine at least, right? It's not, you know, I get a percentage of that deal value and another percent, you know, what, whatever, you know, if it's a billion dollar sell side, it's like, you know, $40 million fee. And then, you know, has to go through the bank hierarchy and you may see, you know, 40,000, I mean, whatever number someone else decides for you, right. This other one, you decide, you know, the, the, the fruits of your labor are all yours. So, um, I find that exciting. So do you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Personal question. And yeah. this is a question I feel like at least I, I get asked this quite often, not quite often, but here and there, is if I could invest in banking, can I make just as much money? So my question to you is, do you make more now or do you make, did you make more in, when you're investing in banking? I mean, look, I mean, investing in banking, there were definitely, you know, kind of, it was cyclical, right? Like, you know, there were good years, there were years that were like not so great, I mean, especially in the beginning. Um, so I know I'm not like answering your question directly, um, you know, there are times. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's it's it's. Like yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think I think in the you know, I, yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably you know making more money now than I did before. You know, did before, right? Because asset values have increased, you know, materially <laughs> over the last few years. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of built-in equity and um, especially in real estate. So you know, like th th that's a great part about leverage, right? Like when it goes up, it's it's great. When it goes down, it's extremely painful. So we were lucky to. Participate in you know in, in a in a big bull market. Um, so you know we're obviously cognizant that the market is changing and you know positioning ourselves accordingly. But there's still a lot of, of opportunity in this market um, on the real estate side. Mm -hmm. uh, the, these trends aren't going to go away. So there, it's just going to be a little harder, right? You're going to have to be much more before. <clears throat> I would say before everything worked. Now only certain things work. So like you have to be good, right? Because you have to actually find those certain things that work and be able to execute. But there's still good returns to be had. It's not like before where anyone can throw something on a dartboard and you know likelihood that success is high. So yeah. that's the that's the dynamic that's different now. Yeah, yeah. Like there's this whole. I hope like, I answered your question. No, no, that, that was good because like I, I didn't make a fair point there because like there's this whole asset portion now to your 
I guess like it's not just like strip salary anymore. You have like an asset portion as well. So it's, it can be also hard to like calculate that, like how much that means. Cause well, think, you think about banking, right? All right. So you live in New York, right? You have, you know, federal taxes at 35% and, you know, for your New York audience in, in California, it's a similar situation, 35%, you know, uh, federal taxes, 10% New York city and state taxes, right? You're already at 45%, um, marginal, you know, marginal tax rate. And then you add, Social Security, Medicare, all that stuff, right? Like you really, you know, you you, you know, you you have a dollar of um, of headline income, but you're probably taking home like you know fifty cents, forty eight cents, fifty, yeah. you know, depending on the year. So it's really half, right? So you make a, if you got a million, you really kind of make two, you know, five, uh, you know, five hundred. Um, uh, but you know, with real estate investing, there's a lot. You know, real estate investing, the tax code is really built to promote that. So there are a lot of non-cash deductions that you can legally take that allows you to defer your tax liability and maximize your after-tax income, um, which, you know, you know, so like for, as for instance, like every real estate dollar literally is worth two investment making dollars. Right. So, yeah. you know, do the math. Yeah. Did, did you make over a million a year in investment <laughs> banking? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there were, yeah, there were years where bonuses were really good. Like last, like last year, there are VPs that made, you know, you know, 700K, 800K bonus. So last year was, I know, I know, I know, I know a lot of people that made really good money last year. So I think people did really, really well last year, probably spent your bonuses at the Hamptons or overseas or on a watch, but, uh, this year is going to be a little different. So, you know, I, I encourage people to, um, you know, plan, you know, kind of plan for a cycle. It's okay. I asked that for a TikTok clip. That's, that's, <laughs> that's going to be the hook. Uh, All, right. <laughs> All right. Well, we can do that again. We can do that again if you. Want. <laughs> no, no, I think I was fine. That was fine. So, all right. As we come to the close to this podcast, um, I, I want to ask one more question. But before I get there, Michael, you're on TikTok. I am. So, how does it feel to be one of the oldest generations on TikTok? It feels great. You know, I, I have that market. I, I have the forty plus market all all to myself. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it's great. Like t- the technology behind TikTok is great. Um, you know, I have to work on my dance moves, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's it, it's it's a great it's a great it's a great way to kind of uh, build my social media presence. You know, it, the reason we did we're doing this is because you know there's we want to we we think this the Airbnb business is a very um, it's a lucrative business and it's going to be a very long standing trend. So we want to be able to help people. Uh, get on this journey if they're if they're interested. Uh, there is yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of value for someone that has a job that is interested in real estate and has an entrepreneurial mindset. This is a very viable path to explore that. Um, and we we didn't you know we were very lucky on this journey to have a lot of people help us and you know want to get back by sharing our journey with others and hopefully inspiring others to um mm. whether it's airbnb or anything else that you know there is an alternative path that if you're unhappy you're nine to five you have other kind of long-term aspirations that may not align perfectly with your nine to five job then you know there are there are, there are paths out there and you know we're one we're one example of many and we hope to you know be uh inspire someone to, to take that step oh shoot I, I have like other questions for you now now you're now you're bringing this up um like can 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 people run an airbnb part-time while yeah. working a job like it's really possible 
<laughs> I, I, I mean, I know someone that has like 35, you know, they have a full-time job. Um, they have a family. Their job candidly is, you know, pretty chill. Um, they work for the, uh, yeah, I won't say who, but you know, it's, it's a, it, you know, it's a very, con- he's able to control his schedule and he has like 35 units and, you know, he's making very good money. So, and I know a lot of people that have, you know, smaller portfolios, but like are doing, you know, six figures, um, you know, running, you know, a couple of units, uh, a couple of high quality units, but it's very, very doable. There's a lot of automation and tools out there that allow you to, to, you know, to automate the business. I wouldn't say passive, there's still work that needs to be done, but you can automate a lot of the, the road tasks. So, so for my audience, cause my audience is predominantly college students and probably fresh grads, right? People just out of college working their first job. What would your recommendation be for someone that wants to break into that Airbnb business? If they're at that stage, think about like, probably don't own a house yet, <laughs> probably <laughs> maybe in debt, maybe not in debt, maybe making a, you know, a good high five figure, a little six figure salary or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I think there, there's two paths, right? Um, I think one is, you know, you save up enough to, to buy, you know, when you have a W2 job, it's actually a very valuable asset you have because you're able to get leverage at, you know, very reasonable rates. So you can buy, you can buy a house, uh, for, you know, five, 10% down, for example. Um, and then, you know, max, and then take that and Airbnb the house. Right. So that's one way. Um, if you want to, you know, kind of go a, a less riskier path, then either you know, rental arbitrage is actually a very, very good approach. Um, you know, depending on where you live, um, you know, where you went to school or your hometown the areas that you know, well, you know, if you have $20,000 to start, for example, you can get two Airbnb apartments. And, you know, if you run it properly, you know, it's a couple thousand dollars of free cash flow every month that you can generate from that, which, you know, if you're making, you know, $120,000 a year, call it, let's say $10,000 a month, your bi-weekly paycheck's 5,000 after taxes and everything, you know, you're probably netting home like 3,500. But if you can add an extra thousand, 1,500 to that, that's pretty meaningful. You've just increased your, you just increased your take-home pay by 33%. That's... You know, I, what can you do with an extra thousand dollars a month, right? Um, I, you know, I think people would be pretty happy with that, and you know, continue to. And then, you know, once that Pandora's box is open, then you know, you're gonna have a lot more ideas. And yeah. maybe it's real estate, maybe it's not, right? But I, I think just knowing that, proving to yourself that you can be successful, your the entrepreneurial side of you can be successful, is a real game changer just for your own personal development and i very very much believe that because for me it just i had success entrepreneurial entrepreneur the different entrepreneurial activities when i was younger as a teenager and that has translated to me you know even now as i'm you know 42 years old like i you know you, you just know that you can do it and once you know that you can do it and you believe in yourself then really like anything is possible you just have to believe that you can do that and the easiest way to do that is just have small successes early on Small successes. Yeah, I like that. I yeah, like build, that. Uh, compound those small successes into big. You know, no one hits a grand slam in their first time up, right? Like you just collect those singles, right? Like you just collect small wins along the way, and then just like you know, and, and then you get more and more at bats, and then once you're once you're more comfortable, you're gonna take bigger and bigger swings, and that's how you're gonna be successful. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna strike. Like, you, you, you're gonna strike out here and there, right? So strike out small, right? Lose like lose small bets, right? And then as you go, like, okay, you, you kind of start finding your groove, then you just take bigger and bigger bets. And, you know, and then your probability goes up that you're going to, you know, hit something out of the park and, and do very well for yourself. 
It really is a numbers game at the end of the day. I mean, it's a numbers game. You gotta work in the right direction. But once you work in the right direction, it, it really comes down to numbers game as I'm learning it, you know. And mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I can say I'm still waiting for my big strikeout right now. You know? <laughs> Hopefully, it comes around soon. Um, no, you, you you built you, you built a great you built a great uh, a great following and uh, you know I, I very I very much like your content I think you're doing you're doing a great <laughs> job but you know like you said it's it, it's just like every day you know consistently taking good at bats um, you know and we're all we're all on this journey together yeah yeah all right well my last question so my my usual last question to my to my guest is usually what advice would you give to eighteen year old self but I'm gonna do a little different for you if you were to go back today maybe not 18 um i don't know how old are you how old are you when you got your mba or when you... uh I, I graduated when i was 29 when you graduate 29 let's go let's go further back let's say let's just say you're 22 you just graduate undergrad right yeah because you know we gotta go to college right we're, we're, yeah. we're good kids um would you and knowing what you know now would you still have would you still would have pursued investment banking, or would you have strong, gone straight into something more entrepreneurial? Uh, I would have, I would have went into investment banking, but I would have probably just stayed for two years. Um, investment banking, that that training, you know, just to get there, uh, those skills that you need to develop, the the soft skills, the hard skills, the you know, just everything that it's it's really hard to get in investment banking. So the fact that you made it there says something, right? People are like, oh, you know, yeah, you were investment banker, right? That says something about you. You are actually, you're, you're able to do something hard, right? Like that is something that is valuable, right? And people recognize that. Um, but I think for me, you know, two, three years was probably enough to get what I, what I wanted out of it. Um, and then I think had I had a chance to do it over, I probably would have left. I was a VP one and, you know, that was 2014. Um, so, you know, there was obviously a lot, uh, you know, a lot of things have happened since 2014 that, you know, had I kind of, participated earlier, I think I probably would have, um, you know, I, I would have enjoyed having those options. I would have enjoyed being able to at least take swings at those opportunities. And I don't regret it at all, but I think that's something where like, oh, 2014 would have been a good kind of off ramp from banking mm-hmm. after VP one, and then, you know, leverage that skill and that capital into something else. But look, we're all on a journey and like, you know, you pull one string, it doesn't mean like everything, you know, not everything was going to fall into place. So I really enjoyed, you know, the tenures of banking, um, really enjoyed the people, what I learned and, you know, excited for what I'm doing now. And, uh, yeah, like the, the, the path is out there and, you know, it just really find out, finding out like what you really want long-term and being consistently driving towards that goal. If you can do that, then you're going to be very successful. All right. So, so I, I made the right choice. <laughs> Conclude your story. I made the right choice. Let's go. You got it. You did. All right, Michael. It, it has been a pleasure to have you on this podcast. This is probably the longest podcast I have done, but I just, I just think there was like so much to talk about, so much to learn from you. Um, and yeah, it's great. It was great to have you on and other than that, like hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for, uh, you know, thank you for this opportunity. All right. Have a good day, Michael. All right. Thank you.